From trucks to trains, it takes a lot to move farm products from the field to the market. So as Congress talks about infrastructure, America's farmers are paying attention. Welcome to Farm Policy Facts. This is the podcast where we dive deep into the issues facing rural America. I'm your host, Tom Sell. So farmers and ranchers depend on reliable infrastructure. In fact, the market doesn't exist if you can't get the product to market. They need to be able to officially move farm products to market. And in the American system, it's all about efficiency these days. Whether that's in their state, um, across state lines, or across the globe. Here to join me this week to talk about the importance of infrastructure is Kevin Brinkley. Now, Kevin is a president and CEO of Plains Cotton Cooperative Association. That's a mouthful. mouthful. We call it the PCCA in Lubbock, Texas. Um, thanks, Kevin, for joining us today. We're so honored and grateful to have you to talk about this really important topic. So if you would, just maybe start by telling us a bit about Plains Cotton Cooperative Association, PCCA, and then we'll go from there. Sure. Uh, well, thanks, Tom, for having us on to uh, talk about really what what I think is a, a topic that is rising in, in, in terms of people's awareness uh, when it comes to, you know, we can sell this stuff, uh, what, what comes next. So that's part of what we do uh, here at PCCA. Uh, we are a grower-owned marketing cooperative. And uh, so that really just means that the guys uh, that uh, farm the cotton and produce it uh, are, are the ones who own this company. And so we take their cotton and we sell it for as much as we can and deduct the cost of doing that and pay all the profits back to uh, the owners of the cooperative. And, and we do a lot of other things, uh, you know, in, in all that. I'm, I'm making it sound pretty simple, but uh, in, t- in terms of, you know, the process of selling it, that's one uh, uh, task, but you also have to deliver uh, what you sell and you have to do it, uh, you know, in a cost-effective manner and you have to uh, do it on time. And when, when the window of opportunity is open, you've got to get uh, those products to market. And so that's why this, uh, this topic that we're talking about today is so very important to, uh, to, to us. So you're also sitting in the middle of one of the world's biggest cotton patches. Isn't that right? In Lubbock, Texas? We are. So uh, if you uh, take all the areas where we work, uh, which is all of the state of Texas from McAllen all the way up through the northern panhandle and combine that with Oklahoma and Kansas and a little bit of eastern New Mexico, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's generally uh, somewhere around, you know, six, seven, eight million bales annually, depending on rainfall. And of course, that is the big variable for us is, is uh, we're largely a rain grown crop here with a little bit of supplemental irrigation. So uh, we, we are uh, dependent on that kind of moisture uh, to, to make a crop. Yeah. But, you know, for those not from the area, you are one of the largest, if not the largest player in the world cotton market today. Is that not right? Well, this is a, yeah, the PCCA is a pretty significant um, uh, presence in terms of origination of cotton. So uh, we uh, we're not always the largest again, you know, we're, we're sort of at the mercy of the weather, but uh, when things cooperate, you know, you can see uh, a lot of cotton come through here. And so uh, we have different ways that we do that. We have folks that market through one of our seasonal pools, but we also have a large cash business here. We're 
growers just market their own cotton through some of the tools that we provide. So yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's a lot of cotton and uh, it's a lot of stuff that has to make it from the interior of Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas uh, uh, to somewhere else in the world where it's used. Yeah, that's right. That, that's right. Not a whole lot of people living out in the center of the area where, where you are. So you've got to get it somewhere. So maybe just talk a little bit more about infrastructure and how it affects your growers, how it affects the co-op. Um, what are the most important aspects of infrastructure from your point of view? Yeah. So um, kind of a, a way to frame up what, um, you know, what cotton is faced with. If you look at all of um agricultural exports somewhere north of 20 percent of of all uh, commodities that are produced get exported in some uh, fashion if you want to isolate that for uh, cotton uh, we're, we're somewhere around 85 to 90 percent of our cotton uh, goes offshore to be produced into textiles and apparel so uh, that means that we've got to move um, uh, uh, you know several million 500 pound bales uh, from an interior warehouse in Lubbock, Texas, or Altus, Oklahoma, or, or, or wherever it happens to be, uh, likely to a destination in Southeast Asia where they have textile manufacturing. And so it, it begins at the warehouse. And then, of course, we've got to have uh, either truck or rail uh, to get that cotton out of the interior. Um, and uh, once it gets uh, out to generally uh, the Long Beach or LA ports on the West Coast, uh, it is loaded onto a vessel where it spends anywhere from 25 to 35 days on the water. Uh, and then it'll arrive at the destination port. It's offloaded uh, there. It'll spend a few more days making it to the textile mill. And then, um, you know, sometimes as much as a year or two later is when you actually see that in the form of a t-shirt or a pair of jeans uh, on a store shelf somewhere. So, it, it, you know, it's pretty involved to get it uh, where it needs to go to be manufactured and something that we want to wear. Yeah, that's that's really an incredible story. Uh, that journey from from field uh, to the fabric and then to the, uh, to the apparel and textile products that we all use. Tell me, Kevin, how has the co-op invested maybe in, in infrastructure improvements? Because I suppose when that customer is ready to buy, you want to be able to, 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 to meet that sale as quickly and efficiently as possible. What are the, some things that, that y'all have done to improve? Well, first thing we've done is <clears throat> invest in technology. Um, um, mostly uh, IT technology so that we know where every bale is basically uh, from the time it hits the ground out of the back of a harvester uh, to uh, the time that it, it gets through the gin and uh, into the warehouse. So uh, the sooner we know what's coming uh, from the producer himself, the sooner we can sell that. So uh, a lot of times we're selling cotton that has not been planted yet. So that, that's the case right now. Uh, we, we've sold a good bit of cotton that, that has not been, uh, a seed hasn't even been put into the ground. And then, of course, as we inch toward harvest uh, in the fall, uh, it, you know, we want to know what the balance of that is as quickly as possible. So that technology that we've invested in allows us to get our hands on that very, very quickly, at least in terms of volume. And, uh, and, and not too long after that, we know what the quality of it is so we can put it onto a sale or, or offer it to someone in an export market. And um, another recent investment that we've made is actually uh, putting in uh, rail capacity. So um, 
one of the unfortunate things for uh, agricultural commodities is there's, there's tremendous pressure on trucking uh, uh, infrastructure here in the U.S. Um, and it's not because we don't have trucks. Uh, they, they can make more trucks. Uh, but what you have a shortage of is drivers. And so uh, kind of like uh, farmers, you know, the average age is kind of slowly drifting up and those guys are aging out and retiring and, and it, it's harder and harder to recruit younger drivers. So you have big companies, uh, you know, like uh, uh, Knight Transportation and Snyder and J.B. Hunt, they're all aggressively um, trying to recruit younger people to drive trucks. We decided that at least where we could control it, we did not want to. Uh, leave ourselves at the mercy of uh, uh, trucks because we've hit some pretty big shortages over the past couple of years. And so we invested in putting in a, a source loaded uh, container facility in Altus, Oklahoma. So that's uh, one, one of seven private intermodal facilities for BNSF. And so we, uh, we do match back loading of, uh, of containers uh, there at that location. And that takes some time and some money out of getting it to uh, the customer. So we, we think, when we think about infrastructure, a lot about roads, bridges, rail, uh, the, the internal structure of our, of, our, of our nation. But ports have also become a huge issue. And uh, so I was wondering if you might just tell our listeners a little bit more about some of the challenges facing us at the U.S. ports. Well, so the shortest distance from, at least for cotton, now this is uh, the cotton that we grow here in the Southwest U.S., <clears throat> the shortest distance from here to Asia, which is where most of the spinning and uh, garment construction is, is through uh, L.A. or Long Beach. And so we have to get our cotton out there. Most of it travels by rail. And so uh, that looks like either us taking the cotton to Dallas and putting it on a rail or on our facility over in Oklahoma. And so um, once it gets out there, though, it's got to get onto a, a vessel. Yeah. And I counted right before uh, we, we started here, Tom. And uh, today uh, um, there are um, 30 vessels that are anchored outside the, the harbor okay. at L.A. Long Beach uh, that will be there for anywhere from seven to 14 days waiting on a berth. And so um, you start looking at, um, you know, how do you get a spot on one of those when it's outbound? And of course, when there are that many ships waiting, they're in a hurry to get turned around because whatever they're bringing over here, whether it's iPhones or televisions or, or Peloton machines, it's hugely, uh, the, 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 those are, you know, high value items. And of course, we've got cotton, pretty low margin item going back in that. So a lot of times they'll just turn it around empty. And so, you know, we rely on that spot on a ship, that empty spot to, uh, to get this cotton to our customers. And cotton's not the only product. But anyway, we, we, we've got to get a spot on those. And of course, we've lost some of those spots because there's so much economic incentive to turn the ship around and go back and get another load of uh, of electronics. And so, um, you know, some of the pressure on those ports comes that they're, they're fairly old yeah. and um, uh, they're, you know, limited in terms of their efficiency because of the equipment that is in there. COVID has not helped anything. Yeah. You've had, you know, sick workers and, and shortened shifts. Uh, so, you know, 
it's just become a really difficult problem to get space on those vessels. And, and it's a shame when you have something that's headed back and if you just had a spot on it, it'd be great. But when they can get $8,000 to bring a container this direction and we, we can't pay more than about $800 going back, uh, you can certainly do the math pretty quick and, and figure out their incentive to turn around and go back and get another load. So we, we've got a problem out there and, and we, we need some, some help, uh, you know, uh, to, to straighten it out. And Kevin, I'm, I'm glad you brought up that, that really, that critical distinction between the high value goods coming to the U.S., finished goods, uh, versus some of the bulk products that are going that way and the margins involved in each. So it's, a, it's a critical uh, point to make. Also, just all the little things that can back it up. I mean, it's not as graphic maybe as a, as a big ship jackknifing in the Suez Canal and, and everything that backs up, but we've had the same sort of issues uh, just kind of a death by a thousand cuts in this in this COVID year. Um, it's just really fascinating to hear you talk about it. So that that kind of focuses our attention then on Congress. This talk in Washington D.C. of a massive infrastructure bill. There's a 2.3 billion dollar package that's been proposed by the Biden administration. I guess the real question is what what do you see as, as things that Congress could do uh, to help cotton and and other ag products for that matter move more efficiently? And maybe just uh, what are your top priorities in this uh, infrastructure bill as it goes forward? So uh, there, there, there's a couple of things that I think are, are important. Uh, one is we need to address the near-term problem. And so uh, Congress has, um, you know, oversight um, and, and authority over our nation's assets, uh, shared assets like ports and roads and bridges and railways and all that. And, and there are agencies that regulate those. And so the ports fall under the, the jurisdiction of the Federal Maritime Commission. And um, it's not an easy problem to solve. We, we, we recognize that because again, there, there are so many conflicting economic signals about this and, and everybody's under stress, you know, because of this tremendous in, uh, increase in demand that we've seen from consumers. But, um, you know, we, we, we need the Federal Maritime Commission to ask some pretty probing questions of these vessel operating common carriers, which are uh, some of the shipping lines that take these containers to and from uh, destination and origin. And so uh, Congress actually in, in early March sent a letter, um, both houses, uh, the House and the Senate had a, a broad bipartisan letter that they sent to the Federal Maritime Commission asking them to investigate why uh, agricultural producers were having such a hard time getting spots on these vessels. So um, we've not heard back uh, on that, but hopefully uh, there, there's a thing called Fact Finding 29 that will uh, actually uh, is underway. And we hope that the, 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 the ocean carriers are cooperating and trying to find ways to uh, get us space on those. That, that would be the ultimate short-term outcome. Long-term, we've got to look at the, 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 the infrastructure itself, you know, do we need to uh, come in and, and remodel or expand some of these ports uh, to make way for the increase in trade? So you got more stuff coming back and forth, yep. um, particularly from Asia. Uh, and the one thing that we know, you know, for all the rancor and stuff that we've heard about trade over the past three or four years, the one thing that we know is that we, we do have to have trade. I mean, especially us in agriculture, we, we have to have it. And so we have to plan for the future. These won't be quick fixes. 
uh, it would be important while Congress is in the mood to to uh, allocate money for infrastructure that they really seriously consider uh, some some money to beef up these ports because the, there's there's more demand and the ships are bigger and uh, it's, this problem is just going to continue to grow. Yeah, it's not going away. It's, no, it's only getting worse. No, no, we hope not. <laughs> and Kevin, I so appreciate the perspective. It's amazing to just see uh, or to hear a bit of what you do from from uh, from Lubbock, Texas, from the center of this cotton patch, and just all the you know activity, jobs, and the moving parts that have to fall into place uh, to get that that cotton to the ultimate consumer and to the benefit of that consumer. I, you know, we all need to wear more cotton, and we're just grateful for what what you're doing out there to uh, uh, to make it a reality. So. Yeah, thank you for joining us today, for sharing these incredible insights and the key role that efficient and reliable infrastructure plays in supporting our farmers and really supporting our nation and its needs. That's going to do it for this episode of Groundwork. I'm Tom Sell.